turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We'll begin reading in verse 7 this morning and then read to the end of the chapter. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul speaking says, look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters, for they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak, and his speech is of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. When they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond limits, but we'll boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. We're not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you, for we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, But our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged, so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you, without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. It is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Let's pray together. Father, pray that you would teach us how to boast correctly, how to have the right thoughts regarding ourselves and of you. We pray, Lord, that the Word, the living Word of God, would continue to separate between soul and spirit, getting at the very heart of what's going on in our inner being. We might be able to to gauge what it is that hinders us from knowing you and loving you and loving others as we should. We pray, Father, that your word this morning would would teach us and correct us, rebuke and encourage us, Lord, that we would be trained in all righteousness, that we might be able to do all the works that you've called us to, and that we would do them with the right frame of mind and the right spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There wasn't a name yet for what New York Giants wide receiver Homer Jones did in 1965 after he took a short pass and ran 89 yards for a touchdown. It was basic, simple enough, uh, but it was very difficult for the reporters to find words to describe this very unique expression of post-touchdown celebration. For what Jones did was he took the ball with his right hand, he wound it up, and then rocketed to the ground as hard as he could. And... As a result, the Dallas Morning News correspondents that day had this to say about this action. He says, Jones has a very funny habit of throwing the ball down when he crosses the goal line. It's very confusing. After the game, the reporters asked him exactly what he was doing, and he said, I'm spiking the ball. No one had ever done that before. And he admitted that it was sort of a combination of joy and rage, having accomplished such a feat against his enemies, if you will. But the funny thing is, this uh, 
unassuming trendsetter later regretted that he had started such a trend seeing all the fights that it caused and all the pride that swelled in the hearts of men he said he wished he'd never had done it interesting what's worse though is that sometimes athletes have started to celebrate even before they got the touchdown you ever seen this happen Super Bowl 17 January of 1993 with all the world watching at least those who watch football Leon Lett of the Dallas Cowboys recovered a fumble and was running easily and casually toward the end zone and began to celebrate. He took the ball down. It was about to walk into the end zone. But at that moment, about one yard out, the Buffalo Bills knocked the ball out of his hands, threw the end zone for a touchback. If you don't know what that means, basically they lost the ball. And the ball went to the opposing team instead. The very definition of empty and vain boasting. He was boasting about nothing because he had not accomplished anything as of yet. And that's exactly what Paul is saying in so many words of his antagonist in the church who were doing something very similar to Leon Lett. They were celebrating as if they had scored a touchdown, but they didn't even have possession of the ball. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you're not a football fan. What I'm trying to say is that these critics of the Apostle Paul were boasting over the church at Corinth as if they were somehow responsible for its success and growth. That somehow Paul was not being acknowledged in the least. The fact that he had planted the church, the fact that he had equipped the church, and the fact that he had continued to follow up with them since that time. In other words, everything that had happened was because of his labor of love. But this concept of vain boasting keeps coming up in this epistle. It came up in the previous one as well. But you'll find very specifically over the next few chapters, the word boasting comes up again and again and again, you'll find it more times here in this epistle than anywhere else in all the Scripture. Clearly, it's a primary theme that he's dealing with here, as well as a, a problem that's continually causing havoc within the church at Corinth. So, to counter this empty, vain boasting of these antagonists of the church, Paul lays out for them, if you will, a, a, a more godly sense of boasting. He's doing it reluctantly. Uh, but nevertheless, he has to do it in order to defend his own authority as apostle of Christ. But he's saying, if you're going to boast, here's how you ought to do it. So he's about to lay out for them in the next few chapters. He's going to start boasting. And he says, I'm, 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 I can't believe I'm doing this. I feel crazy and foolish even saying these things. But nevertheless, you need to know why I have this strong confidence in my own labor here over the church at Corinth. So, but before he does that, today he's sort of laying out his argument for why he is willing to boast in this way so i want to give you sort of four points four criteria if you will on what godly boasting is as opposed to the empty vain boasting of the world and the first criteria is this building uh, godly boasting builds up the body of christ rather than tearing it down number two it's based on a comparison with god rather than men number three it seeks to broaden one's own area of influence rather than intruding upon another's. And number four, it banks upon God's commendation rather than one's own praise. We'll cover those again if you missed any of them. But firstly, godly boasting builds up the body of Christ rather than tearing it down. Verse 8, if you look back there again, Paul says, Even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not destroying you, I will not be ashamed. Of course, the implication is that his antagonists 
are indeed destroying the church by their self-centered boasting, by the conflict that they're causing within the church. Notice that every time they try to elevate themselves, they have to put down Paul in order to do so. So they're demeaning Paul's preaching in order to brag about their own eloquence. They're questioning his authority in order to tout their own credentials. And they're minimizing his labor of love for the church in order to aggrandize their own efforts as meager as they are. At the same time, they're not encouraging the church at all, but rather causing all sorts of division and paranoia and questioning of Paul's authority over and over again. It's not leading to anything good, but only that which is bad, right? Uh, we think about it, the first time you hear of any boasting in Scripture actually comes from the lineage of Cain. Do you remember Lamech? He says, I'm boasting that I have killed a man for wounding me, right? From the very beginning, he's tearing someone down. He's boasting that he has torn someone down. We read in, in our text in Isaiah, every time you have a lot of these kings that God has raised up to bring justice against Jerusalem, these are evil kings, and yet they're boasting as if they've done this all in their own strength. But what are they boasting about? That they've destroyed kingdoms. Paul's saying that the antagonists in the church are doing the same thing. They're destroying they're not building up. What's there to boast about? Uh, in fact, 1 Corinthians 14, the previous epistle, Paul said that the one who speaks in tongues builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Again, there's some men like this that are in the church. They claim to have these esoteric visions. They claim to have these special dreams that no one else has. They claim to speak in the tongues of angels, and as a result... Uh, they're, they're constantly putting everyone else down who doesn't have these particular things. But Paul is saying he has used his gifts, even if he can speak in another tongue, he's using his gifts primarily to edify the church of Christ, to build up the church so that everyone can understand what he's saying. He makes it very plain, very clear. There's no secret to it. There's no special power that he has that he's not willing to unveil or to reveal to them. But his whole purpose is he's... he's He's able to edify the church with his gifts, not tear it down. Again, Ephesians 4, when you think about uh, God has given to the church apostles and pastors and teachers and, and, and other leaders as well. Why? So that they would equip the body of Christ so that the whole church would be built up, right? You know that you're doing the right thing when your gifts are being used to build up the body. You're not doing the right thing when you're tearing down the church through the gifts that God has given you. And that's exactly what these antagonists are doing. They're boasting but in their boasting, they're tearing things down. He says, if you want to boast in the right way, at least boast of what you've built up. The problem is, they haven't built anything. They haven't built up anything. Uh, Paul is, is constantly pointing out that he is the only one who has planted the church. None of them had helped in whatsoever. They weren't even around when this happened. If you remember, though, even when he does boast, most of the time he's not boasting about his own labor, but rather he's boasting about how the church is being built up, how it's growing. Uh, think about it, even in the, the chapters 8 and 9 that we covered a few weeks ago, he's boasting of the Corinthians' willingness to give to the church in Jerusalem to the Macedonian churches. And then at the same time, he's boasting, to the he's boasting to the Corinthian churches what the Macedonians were willing to give. So each time he's building up the church in all the ways that he's boasting. He's boasting, he's like, I encourage these guys, and look how much they gave. And I encourage these guys, now look how much they gave. And now look how the church is growing because of it. He says, if you boast in that way, it's not so bad. <laughs> but that's not what you're doing. Instead, you're boasting and putting everyone else down. You're demeaning others. You're destroying the church as a result. That's not godly. But rather, in fact, it's of the devil. That's the first one. If you're going to boast, it should be building others up in your boasting. 
Secondly, godly boasting is based on a humble comparison with God instead of with men. Not only do these earthly comparisons tend to tear down your brothers and sisters in Christ, they're also an unfair comparison at best. If you think about it, no one begins this life with the same opportunities. No one begins this life with the same gifts or even the same particular blessings. God starts us off in life differently. None of us start out the same. How could you compare yourself with someone else when they're not in the same shoes that you wear? I mean, I wear a size 16 wide. Who else does here? You just didn't start out in the same shoes I did, right? Can you slam a basketball goal? I barely can if I can still do it, but most of you can't. It's just not fair. But at the same time, I hit my head on ceiling fans. It, it's just not fair. Things work, right? Uh, and sometimes they don't work, but you can't compare yourself to someone else. God didn't make you the same way as he made me, and he didn't make me the same way as he made you. These, it, it just doesn't make sense what they're doing. And so it's interesting. One of the early descriptions, and really the only description that we have of the Apostle Paul, what he actually looked like, is actually in one of these more of apocryphal, pseudepigraphal type of books called The Acts of Paul. And in it, uh, Paul is depicted this way. He is a man of middling size, whose hair was scanty, his nose a little long, his legs a little crooked, and his knees projecting too far apart. He also is said to have had large eyes with eyebrows that touched in the middle. If this account is accurate, I try to summarize it for you, then Paul was a very short, big-nosed bachelor who was bald, bow-legged, and blind with very bushy unibrow. Not quite the imposing figure that you had in mind, was he? If this is true, I don't think that it is, but I don't know. Maybe some of it's true. Nevertheless, this little weak man that people made fun of and questioned his authority planted more churches around the world than anyone else in all the history of the church. Doesn't matter. It's very hard to compare ourselves on the outside. In fact, the, the very first verse that is in the passage we're looking at today in verse 7 uh, our text has it more of a, of a sense of command, like you need to look this way. Uh, but you can also, many of your translations actually have it more of an indicative sense of saying, you're only looking at the outward flesh. You're not looking at what's going on inside, through the spirit, through the heart. I, I prefer that translation, but both of them work in that sense. Um, but, but again, it goes back to when David was originally called by God to fight against uh, the, the, the Philistines and Goliath and become the king. You know, Remember, all the brothers were looked over at first, and, and, and particularly the, the prophet is told by God, you're only looking at the exterior, not looking at what's inside. You're not looking at the heart. And that's what these men are doing. Again, verse 10, Paul says, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. Again, Paul there's, it's interesting, uh, there's another man who also had some ministry in Corinth whose name was Apollo. And Apollo is almost the exact opposite of the Apostle Paul, uh, a man of good stature. He was very popular with the people, well-spoken, eloquent, very powerful in speech. And some people in the church were comparing Paul with Apollo and saying, no, we follow Paul, or we follow Apollo, depending upon which, which group it was. And he's saying, again, you can't compare these two. Uh, Paul was not made in the image of Apollo, and Apollo was not made in the image of of Paul. They both were made in the image of God. If you're going to compare them, you need to compare them to God. The original, the archetype, the, the, the prototype of all of these things, at least compare them to Christ. But that's not what they're doing. They're comparing each other to each other. And he says, that's just foolish. It doesn't make any sense at all. If the Spirit of God is dwelling within us, 
and we're walking with the Lord, if we're going to compare ourselves in any way, we ought to compare ourselves with ourselves. <laughs> in other words, what we were before Christ and what we are now in Christ. If you're going to boast, man, the, the Lord has really worked in me. I was awful before. I'm less awful now. Yay. You know, in that sense. But there's never a sense in which I'm comparing myself to someone else. Even in the membership class today, I was talking to the people, and I said, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I've met a number of people who said they actually prefer sometimes to be friends with non-Christians more so than Christians because they're nicer. <laughs> and sometimes that's true. Because oftentimes, God chooses the worst of the worst. So I'm glad you're here. But literally, if you think about it, most people that like the non-Christian friends more, usually they're maybe here in the sense of normalcy. And the non-Christians are maybe here in the sense of normalcy. But they're getting better. They're getting more like Christ. They're learning to love more like Christ. These other ones have flatlined out. They're as good as they're going to get, you know, in that sense. You've got to give us a little grace as we continue to grow. But the point is, you can't compare Christian to Christian. You can't compare Christian to non-Christian. You have to compare what is the Spirit of God doing at work within us. And that's what's important. Even though Paul may not have been the best-looking guy or maybe the most eloquent preacher, he, he did. He, he, he did more work than anyone else and it's very plain that he did and and not only that but he did it as a pioneer unlike me who was standing in the pulpit of other men who came prior to me i'm following up on other people's labor right here at this church the apostle paul only went to places where he was the only one he started it there was no ministry at those towns until he came and he built those churches that's what he says first corinthians 3 verse 10 according to the grace of god that was given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and now someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. The problem is these antagonists think that they're adding something to it and making it even better, but they're not. They're, they're working against everything that Paul has set up. Uh, they haven't planted any churches. They haven't done anything. In fact, they're taking credit for what God has done, not even what Paul has done. If you remember, uh, Paul says, I planted, Apollo watered, and now what? God has given the growth. And yet these antagonists are claiming as if they're the ones responsible for the success of the church at Corinth. It's all messed up. It doesn't make any sense. So instead of uh, going in and, and doing what God has called them to, um, they're trying to steal from other people's areas. They're not broadening their own area of influence. They're seeking to intrude upon someone else's. Uh, maybe you remember, um, you remember the book back in the early 2000s, I think it came out, The Prayer of Jabez. Remember that book? It was sort of popular at the time. Uh, there's, there's, some, uh, there's some truths in that book that certainly I, I can't knock because it comes directly from Scripture, but he, he, I think he makes a little bit too much of it. He basically, in, in the, uh, the summary of the book, it says, if you pray this prayer, then you'll have the, the greatest, wildest blessings you've ever had in your life. I mean, it's just sort of one of those marketing kind of schemes, if you will. But if you just look at the prayer itself from Scripture, there is quite a bit to it. In fact, it's, uh, what, what makes the prayer so interesting is that it's found in a very obscure place in Scripture. If you remember, it comes from 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verse 10, one of all of our favorite books of the Bible, 1 Chronicles, in the midst of a huge genealogy. You're reading name, 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 and then you get to this prayer of this obscure figure named Jabez. And what does he pray? He simply says, O oh Lord, that you would bless me and enlarge my border, and that your hand might be with me. And it says, and the Lord granted him what he asked. What was he asking for in that prayer? He was asking that the Lord would use him in a mighty way. 
that the Lord would expand his territory, if you will, that he could be used in a greater manner, that he would not cause harm, but he would cause health and, and a building up of others, if you will. And it says the Lord answered his request. And this is what Paul's saying. He's saying, as he continues to labor, he's asking the Lord, how can you use me more? How can I be used more? How can I grow more in the gifts that you've given me? I mean, how often do you guys pray for more spiritual gifts? How often do you pray for more opportunities to serve? This is something that Paul was doing all the time. Certainly the prayer of Jabez in that sense. But listen to verses 15 and 16 Paul shares with the Corinthians. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence may, among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another area's another's area of influence again he's wanting to expand his ministry to do more work for the lord not to take work away from someone else but to do more in fact when he's in greece he's looking to go to rome when he's in rome he's looking to go to spain he keeps wanting to see more and more expansion of the ministry of the gospel why because he wants to see god's name praised he wants to boast more on the lord so he wants to work harder for that purpose so he sees the mission continuing to grow. And so in order to do that, he invests more in the church of Corinth so they can become more healthy, that they can participate more in this ongoing labor, that they can send out more gospel ministers, uh, send more gifts to the church in Jerusalem, and all of the above. All of this works hand in hand. As the church grows up in faith, more work is done, God gets more glory. More boasting is made, you see. Uh, so he's investing in the church, building it up, so that God can be praised all the more. These other men, what are they doing? They're tearing down the church. Less work is done. God gets no praise. It's empty boasting. It amounts to nothing. Nothing is accomplished. So when a man or woman of God is, is boasting in a godly manner, they're always boasting of these two things. They're boasting of the Lord. They're boasting in the Lord. And they're also boasting in the church. They're seeing these things expanded. God has given to each of us a lot, if you will, boundary lines of types of uh, areas of influence, ministries he's given us. Are you faithful in the area that he's placed you? I mean, ultimately, that's the question. You know, there, there are many books that have been written about how to be more riskier in your ministry and how to, how to make more of a change and change the world for Christ. But the question is, uh, in your small little area that you're in, are you faithful there? Are you working hard there? Are you investing there? Is there something that you can show an investment worth as a result? He says, if you do that, the Lord will give you more. More labor, more boasting, and on and on. So that's the third. And then fourthly, godly boasting banks upon God's commendation and not one's own praise. If you look in verse 17 and 18, there Paul says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. And as I've already said numerous times, these antagonists are constantly commending themselves, constantly tooting their own horn, if you will, proclaiming uh, their authority and, and their title and their popularity. It, it, it's interesting, on Friday, uh, some of the elders from our church went to a presbytery meeting on the other side of the state of Michigan regularly scheduled presbytery meeting one of the duties of the presbytery is to examine men who would potentially serve as as pastors over churches right 
why do we do this? In fact, it's a very rigorous process, and they have to take a bunch of tests, and they have to be examined by a bunch of different men, and then they're brought before the whole presbytery, and anybody can ask them any question on the planet, basically. Literally, they have been asked those questions. But they do that because even though you might have a man who senses or feels called by God, that the church doesn't think he is. The church doesn't agree that he is. And then he comes on the scene, what do you think happens? Splits the church right in half. Because he comes with such vibrato, such charisma, such power and eloquence and speech, and yet he's the most ungodly man you've ever met. How many times have you seen this? The reason why we go through these processes is to make sure, as much as we can, that these men have been called by God and recognized by the church that he, in fact, does have these gifts. Because anybody can say, hey, I'm an apostle. <laughs> I'm a pastor. I'm, I've gone to seminary. I, I can do whatever I want. In fact, you know, you can actually get a, a seminary degree online in like two months now. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to know anything. Just, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pastor now. Makes no sense whatsoever. You really, uh, the, the reason for this is so that people would not commend themselves, but that every humble man who seeks to serve in this capacity not only has God's commendation, but also has the churches. They together, they both recognize this truly is a man of God. He has this gift set. He ought to be serving in this particular area. Uh, and it's really important that if God's going to commend a man, oftentimes how he does it, not only through that own personal sense of call, but it's also through the call of the church. Of course, uh, eventually there'll come a day where uh, it's, it's directly the Lord's voice alone in which a man senses that. But on the day of judgment, uh, what's, what's the most important commendation he could receive is when Jesus says to him at the end, well done, my good and faithful servant, right? You have been faithful over what? A little. And now what will happen? I will place you over much. Now enter into the joy of your master. Again, this principle is what Paul is showing. He said, God has given me this. This is my lot. This is my boundaries. I'm trying to be faithful in that. Now, Lord, give me more so I can be faithful in more ministry that I can continue to spend and be spent for the sake of the gospel. He's going to say that later on in the same epistle, that he wants to spend and be spent for them, for the church. It really is an amazing testimony that he has, but it's meant to be the testimony of all of us. And so his earnest desire is that he might be able to boast more in all that has been accomplished. Uh, but again, it's interesting, um, Romans 16, there is a, a long list of names that Paul mentions in that last chapter in the epistle to the Romans, and in each one of these names, he's commending all of these people for their service, for their labor, their, they've been co-laboring with him in Christ. But in one particular way, in verse 10, in that chapter, Paul commends a, a man by the name of, Pe of Apelles, and, and who is one, he says, who is approved in Christ, or, or as the same wording is in our text, one who is commended by Christ. How does Paul know that this particular man has been commended by Christ? Because he's been commended by the church. Paul's not getting a particular vision of every single time someone who is called by Christ. He knows he's called by Christ by his labor, by his love, by his faith, by his grace. It's being demonstrated in so many different ways. Naturally, anyone who wants to seek this kind of commendation will seek to temper his own boasting before men. He wants the Lord's commendation. He wants the Lord's approval. And so godly boasting, again, is for the building up of the body of Christ, not for one's own kingdom. What do we pray in the Lord's Prayer? Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. The person who's 
boasting in the right manner. He's boasting that God's name is being hallowed. He's boasting that God's kingdom is being spread through his labors. He's boasting that God's will is being done with his assistance as an instrument in the hands of God. This is how it's meant to be. Of course, that's not what Paul's antagonists are doing. They're doing the exact opposite. It's always about building up their own kingdom, even stealing the, the kingdom from Paul, if you will, in order to make a name for themselves. You know, it really reminds you, I, it's been a while, my youngest daughter just turned 16 this weekend. I no longer have little kids, it just dawned upon me. And, but I remember when they were real little, reading them some of those books about, you know, bad tempers and, and you know, all those things that you should avoid. And I remember one specifically in the picture book where there was a kid that every time he went around to the other kids, he was always like, look at me, I'm smarter than you. I'm prettier than you. I'm more sportier than you are. Whatever it is. Everywhere he went, he was constantly saying how great he was. And of course, what happened? How did the, people, how did the other kids respond to him? They all hated his guts. You're just a big mouth. You can't shut up. You're always talking about yourself. And you're always putting us down because you think you're so great. Right? Uh, that, that's sort of the gist of it, the moral story of the book. But it's amazing to me sometimes how some adults never grow up. And they still act that way. You know, they're still like, look at me, look at all I've done, you know. And you're like, I still have this image of the picture book. I'm like, you're that little kid, Johnny, whatever his name is. And you can't stop talking about yourself, how great you are, you know, in that sense. Uh, but, but most adults know not to do that, right? We, we know we can't do that because then people are going to look at us funny. But do we not still think it at times? Do we not still have that image of life? Well, I, I want people to think highly of me. And, and if you think about it, the kid that's doing all the boasting in the book, is he not really the most unloved kid and the kid who has the lowest confidence, self-confidence that there is? That's why he's doing all that boasting. And I was, I was thinking about that the other day because in the church when people do that, it's the same thing. They don't know how loved they are. They don't know how special they are. They don't, they don't know the confidence that the gospel gives through Christ. And so what happens is the people that go around boasting in all the wrong manner and comparing themselves to each other and putting other people down, because they really don't get the gospel. If you get the gospel of Christ, you know what Christ has done. You know how much he has loved you so much he's laid down his life for you. You know you're loved. You don't have to say, please love me to other people. You, you know the confidence that you have because he's, he's chosen to use you as an instrument in his hands to do so much of his good works and he's given you gifts to do it you ought to have the confidence and the authority to use the gifts he's given you you ought to be able to go up to people and love them and serve because he's enabled you to do that but the person who doesn't get the gospel doesn't get that they just want to tear things down so i'd say be very careful especially in the church of christ there will always be some that sort of sneak in and uh, they start causing all sorts of havoc understand first and foremost though they really do they they just don't get the gospel and so they're, they're saying all these big words and saying all these mean things because they don't understand. If they only knew how much they were loved by God and how much as being a part of the church, how much he loves the church, they, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't act this way. But that's where, that's where the, the, the rest that comes in from the gospel of Christ, it, it enables us not to think about ourselves anymore because our whole story is new. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. And because we are new, and we have hope, and everything's new. We have power that we didn't have before. We have a work and a calling we never had before, and that enables us to boast in the right way for the first time, to boast in God's glory, and to boast that he would use some peon like me, 
Some of the worst of the worst in this room are here. We're all gathered together today. You're the scum of the earth. And yet God will use scum and turn them into his beautiful, radiant bride. And will use them to multiply disciples all over the face of the earth. He will use you. He will use me. He has and he will. You have to know that. And if you know that, then you'll be able to boast in the right manner. If, on the other hand, you don't know that, you don't get the gospel, you don't know that salvation is absolutely free, that he has done it all, you don't have to do anything, you just simply look to Christ in his salvation. It empowers you as a new creation to go out and to boast in the name of the Lord. Amen? Anyway, he's going to be talking about, a lot about this in the next couple of weeks, so I don't give you all of it now, but there's a foretaste of it. Uh, let's practice boasting in the Lord. Let's, uh, let's pray. Our Father, we do. We lift up your name on high. Uh, you are our maker. We were made in your image. You were not made in ours. You created all things, and you're the one who continues to provide for all things, all creatures. You're the one who gives us the, the sunlight and the rain, who continues to give us the food to eat and the, the shelter in which we live. Lord, you are the one who holds all the world and all the universe in your hands. Lord, we, we give you the praise. We know that you are the one who upholds all of these works. You're the one who blesses all of our attempts at doing any labor for the sake of your name. Lord, we, we praise your name. And we, we long to be able to boast more, not, not in ourselves alone, but that you would use us to build up the body of Christ, that you would use us to point, up, point others to the king of this world. We pray, Lord, empower us to do that more and more. Expand our boundaries, we pray in Jesus' name.